Brian Gillum. Welcome to Fab NYC's podcast, Artwork, about how art works in the world. This episode has been created by Native Art Department International, a collaborative long-term project created and administered by Maria Hupfield and Jason Lujan. As artist-in-residence with 4th Arts Block and Downtown Art, during the first six months of 2018, Native Art Department International conducted three interviews with people each with deep histories and connections to the Lower East Side. Muriel Miguel is a playwright and artistic director of Spider Woman Theater. Born in Brooklyn, Muriel co-founded Spider Woman Theater Ensemble in 1976. It is the oldest feminist theater in North America. Muriel is a 2016 Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship recipient and is a member of the National Theater. She continues to direct, perform, and teach in residence at Amarinda. Thank you very much for meeting with me this afternoon. I'm happy that you could join me, and I'm excited. I was so happy to see your recent play, Fear of Oatmeal, at City at Theater for the New City. Well, um, I didn't produce it. Well, I did halfway produce it, but but it was written and directed by me. Mm. One of the big aims in my life is to really have native theater. I want to work with an all native cast. I want to work with playwrights or directors that are native. And, uh, and it's so important, you know, and, and, uh, and what I say all the time is for us, by us. And I, because so many stories are told and they're not our stories because they're not told by us. So that is like everything to me. The idea, I'm interested in getting set designers now and costume designers now that are native. Um, I want to be able to talk the same language. We're all on the, we're all in the same teepee, you know what I mean? That we all know what we're talking about. So, so that uh, when you come in, and we start talking that we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm, that we're not shocked when we see things change and happening. And that, that's, that's a big thing for me. The other thing was, I was thinking about dialogue. And I never think about dialogue because I work on people's bodies and on them and their stories and what they say. So I was thinking, what is dialogue and, and how do you write dialogue? So I started to write dialogue and I said, oh, hey, I can do this. <laughs> I'll write a play. <laughs> so that's how it started. And then I realized that I really wanted to write about the people that lived, because I tell all these stories and when we were at that gallery together, I was telling you all the stories of all the people and uh, and this is just Brooklyn. And I really wanted to talk about the families that lived here for over 100 years, you know. And uh, my sister Gloria reminded me, 
And I, I never thought of it this way. I started to think about mounds, you know. And uh, she said, you know, in our backyard there, there's two mounds. And I was like really struck by that. Like she said, yeah, they, uh, our grandfather and grandmother opened one of the sections in the, in the middle of the backyard and put all the, the stuff that they were not using and they didn't want to throw away into this place. And uh, including my older sister, my two of my sisters, their placentas are in that mound. Mm. And mine's around the corner. <laughs> and they uh, covered it. And at one time when I was growing up, it was really a mound. You know, there was grass and flowers and a, and a, a little gate around it, a little low gate. But uh, as things got modern <laughs> for us, uh, it now has uh, a cement slab over it. What was ma amazing to me that it kept on going uh, one, one step deeper, one, another step deeper, and another step deeper. It started out as dialogue, and then the house, and then the mounds, and you know, and, and uh, how much we know in our own language and what do we know and and then realizing that we because part of the family said we didn't have a clan the other part said we did right right so i realized that we and this happened because my sisters went back to Kuniala and they talked about that you're from a star family. And we realized, well, the star family, that's a clan. <laughs> so to realize that you are, you are from a clan, but it's a very specific clan, you know? And that was, that was the first time I really admitted it out loud to the, to the world that this is my clan, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, yeah. So all of that was, was part of writing this piece and, and, and looking back at, at, at how these people went in and out of their houses, talked about each other, and then realizing how my mother worked all of this because she was a Christian, she wasn't a Christian. And that was like, and my grandmother, my great-grandmother, how they came from Virginia, how they were midwives, and, you know, during the uh, Civil War and so on, they, they traveled by horseback, you know, delivering on the way in on the plantations. They didn't come out, <laughs> you know? And uh, that was like... That's really so interesting, all of that stuff that I've heard it, but I never thought how important it is. A lot of times it was so hard, uh, even in New York City, because it's another thing, you know, you're a native in Brooklyn, living in an Italian neighborhood, and and all those things, my father used to, you know, advertise outside of when there was an Indian picture. 
he would advertise stand there in his headdress. Everyone had headdresses, right. you know, and uh, advertise the Indian movie that was gonna be there. And I, I used to think that's strange, but they all did it, but the, all those families did it because there was, there was no work. I remember my father, <laughs> he saw this huge log in the water where we had a cottage. <laughs> it, it sounds so funny. We had this bungalow that had maybe three rooms in it in the kitchen and a porch. Uh -huh. And we would stuff this house with like 30 <laughs> Indians. <laughs> There's people sleeping on the floor. We got bunk beds, <laughs> bunk beds. So. And, uh, and it was near the beach and it was near um, um, a fish factory. So there was this god-awful smell that happened at least twice a day when they let off the, the fish smell. <laughs> but there was a shore and there were waves and my father and my uncles loved that. And so he saw this log floating in and he went and he got it. And my mother was like ecstatic because he looked so brave, just, mm -hmm. like, a, just like an Indian should look, right? <laughs> and he came in with this big log on his, on his shoulder and he peeled it down and it was redwood, like a, a cedar or something, it was redwood, I remember that. And he decided that he was gonna do a totem pole. He had no idea about totem poles. No idea at all, but he erected a totem pole, invited all his friends, and there was a big, uh, we, we had a, a film of it, my father dancing and all these other Indians dancing around this totem pole. The totem pole had a high hat. <laughs> At this point, I don't even know if you can call it a totem pole, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a carving. <laughs> right, it was a carving. He decided to do it, you know, he carved it. Yeah. And then he, got, he, he made a, a, a top hat out of like a, a gallon uh, tomato thing, and he put that on top and <laughs> made a rim for it. Right. It was amazing, and everyone was so excited. Well, because we had some kind of a ceremony out of nowhere. Yeah. It came out of the air, yeah. or out of the ocean, I should say, you know? Yeah. But that kind of thing happened all the time to us. Right. If you think it's just a story, and then you realize it's, it's a story, right. you know? And that's what I'm learning now. Right. At 80, I'm learning this. Yeah. And... and uh, yeah, because if we don't do it, a lot of it will just be flattened. We'll know about it, but it will be flattened, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I think about that. The, the, the pieces that we know, the, the first song that, uh, the first song that uh, Gloria sings is, uh, is from Kuniyala, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and I just put words to that and let her sing her way, and then I just put words to it, you know. And 
I, I think, I think that we have to be in control of our own, our own ways of thinking. And I, I find myself at times getting um, uncertain about things. There was a place called Teepee Town. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it sold, you know, drums from Japan or China and stuff like that and fake little headdresses. And, but they also sold silver, right? And uh, so they had someone in the window, an artisan, really, you know, a silver maker, making stuff in the window to get people to come in. Mm -hmm. And of course, we knew them. <laughs> That was so funny, you know. He said, oh, there's Swifty. Hi, Swifty. He's <laughs> in the window. He's in the window. He's going to pay his rent. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And another guy called Hill Canoe. And uh, oh, he, he, they, they both, well, Hill Canoe was really, he made beautiful jewelry, you know, like, you know. Gorgeous, gorgeous jewelry. And he would sell it around, you know. He'd make it there and uh, take it someplace and sell it. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. You think of, of all of that, you know. So things that now would be thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. right. Big, big buckles or gauntlets, mm -hmm. you know. Boy. Teepee Town. Teepee Town. <laughs> they had one on in Grand Central Station and one on 42nd Street. Right. <laughs> Crazy. But you know, I, I, I never, because I, I was always in avant-garde, what am I trying to say, avant-garde theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your head, ahead of things. Yeah. And I uh, never, uh, that, uh, when I was dancing, uh, I was always like <laughs> going upstream. <laughs> Everyone was coming downstream. I was mm. you know, struggling along to get upstream. What kept you going in those times? I think it was my curiosity. Right. Because, you know, if something can be like this, well, why can't it be like right. this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, that's yeah. how my mind worked. That's why Deborah says that's what your mother's mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that way. I, I, you know, thinking of it as even as a little kid, you know, thinking how because I played by myself so much, and I had all these imaginary right. friends and. And, uh, and that's what I did. <clears throat> so I, I rem more of, I started to realize was when I was at, I was at the Playhouse, you know, I was a dancer, you know, mm -hmm. I was in school there. And more and more I realized that I wasn't going the same way other people were going, you know? Right. 
And I, I tried to get into Juilliard. That was embarrassing, because I had no idea what Juilliard was. And it was a dance school, okay, I'll try that. So I tried to get in, but uh, from across the country came all the ones just out of ballet school, right, you know, this, right. and me. And uh, I didn't look like them. And I, I was the, at that time, the only darky in the room, I think. And I didn't, I didn't have ballet slippers. Mm. I went in as a modern dancer, no shoes on. And then they said, okay, now put on your slippers, you know. And I said, I don't have slippers. And everyone got embarrassed because I didn't have slippers. They were running around like mad trying to find slippers for me. <laughs> You just relived your dad's life, right? That's right. right. That's shoes. true. That's, oh, my God. I don't even thought of that. They're still trying to make you wear the shoes. <laughs> oh, I never thought of that. That's true. Mm. That's amazing. So, you know, I, I, so I, I didn't get into Juliet. You escaped to that. Oh, I didn't get into Juliet. And I remember telling this to uh, to dancers at Banff. Right. You know, they all crying. What? Were they crying because you didn't have the shoes? <laughs> How terrible that must have felt. <laughs> and I was, I said, ah, you know. <laughs> And Deborah says, don't tell that story again. <laughs> Kids can't out. take it. <laughs> That's where you belonged. And, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It was so, Experimental so theater in New York. Yeah. So, you know, and I, uh, but in a way I had two older sisters right. that okay. really became my mothers, right. you know. And they looked out, made sure I got into school. Uh, they, they made sure that I knew things right. that were other people knew that I didn't know, like ballet. Right. And that's, they were really looking out for you as well. So that reminds me what, why also um, Spider-Woman Theater Group um, came about, yeah. right? Because you had this of sisters who... Yes, yes. And I always wanted to work with them. They didn't particularly want to work with me. I was a little too <laughs> avant-garde for them, you know. My older sister, my sister Spiced says, yeah. <laughs> she says, I go to HB studio, and you want me to stand on my head? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, they... They talked about uh, all kinds of things. I, I mean, I've, I can't even remember now, but it was a, seeing mime. I had to get a struggle to get money to get one ticket to go see mime. Uh, uh, Marcel, Marceau, uh, uh, to see Oklahoma. They wanted me to see the culture of the white people. They thought that was really important. They sent me for 
piano lessons that didn't happen because, <laughs> you know, they, those teachers, you know, if you'd made a mistake, they would hit your hand. Mm. I never got hit. Right. Okay. You know, it was like, <laughs> I wouldn't go. I would ride the subway until it was time to come home. I'd ride back and forth on the subway. So they didn't know that. So then they sent me to, oh, my, one that plays Nellie, she sent me to um, dance class with all her friends, the modern dance friends. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's what I, so I, at the age of 13, I started to uh, really learn a practice called Laban, which is, a way of looking at movement. And it took me uh, from 13 till now. I still teach it, mm. you know. I have to break it down so much because it's so in me, you know. Right. I taught grass dancing with the Laban oh. <laughs> method. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> I don't know. You want to ask me any other questions? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Fear of Oatmeal <laughs> is on um, at the Theater for New City, which is uh, 155 First Avenue. <laughs> and um, it's on uh, Sundays at 3 and Thursday to Saturday at 8 PM. That's right. And you are, you wrote and directed this play. Yes. I never really work like this. I always work from the body out. Okay. So, but it was interesting. Artists understand me. <laughs> because it was a, uh, uh, David Martin said, oh, so this is story weaving. You, yeah. you take the story and you add more and you layer it and you, and you yeah. yes, David, yeah. yes, David, you know, because he, he understood exactly what I was doing. And I, but this was a piece I wrote. I mean, I gave them scripts, so it was different. But I still, I still did the weaving of how I think uh, a story goes. So I still did that, but it was wasn't not on their bodies. Mm -hmm. Weaving with words, You're Weaving doing with, it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is Ryan Gillum for Artwork, the Fab NYC podcast about how art works in the world. This episode was created by Native Art Department International, a collaborative project of artists Maria Hupfield and Jason Luhan. More artwork podcasts can be found on our website at www.fabnyc.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thanks to Michael Hickey and the Fab NYC staff. And as always, our appreciation to the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, New York City Department of Small Business Services, City Council Member Carlina Rivera, New York State Council on the Arts, and Con Edison for supporting Fab NYC programs. Thanks for listening.